My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach. Call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This market is afflicted with a serious case of lazy thinking, and it's starting to drive me nuts. And that includes today, where the Dow dipped 107 points, SME declined 0.09%, and the Nasdaq advanced 0.16%. You might be asking, what exactly is lazy thinking? Well, it's the inability to see when your negativity is getting in the way of a good story. It's what happens when you let your groundless fears scare you away from high-quality stocks. So tonight, I want to give you some real-life examples to show you how things play out when you decide to tough out those worries and believe in what's your own rather than have lazy thinking. Case in point, you know i got a charitable trust where you can follow all the moves before we make them by joining ActionWorksPlus.com Club. Every day, I go over the trust portfolio by hand, little pencil, see what, if anything, needs to be done. What's reached my price target? What feels a little heavy? Or what's become precarious? But I also fall victim to the lazy thinking almost daily. I know to warn you away from these mistakes because I make them and almost make them myself. So what exactly is lazy thinking and what does it look for you and your portfolio? Okay, well, I thought we'd get a big infrastructure bill in a much shorter period of time. The Travel Trust bought Nucor. Yeah, best steel maker on earth. It was a considered decision. Even though we picked up some new court much lower prices uh, uh, some time ago, traded successfully, then got out of it, I figured that it made a ton of sense to get back in, especially with the prices of steel skyrocketing. And CEO Leon Topalian telling us a great story right here on the show. So why not go back in the new court? Problem is, I got the timing so wrong. We bought the first chunk of new court for the Chapel Trust at 107. Pretty much even where where it is right now. But wait a second. See, the stock had recently pulled back from 111. I thought that was a great opportunity buying it four points down. Then we watched in horror as Nucor stock tumbled to $89. Fortunately, we did pick some up on the way down. Even got some at $89. So we were doing okay. But not long after, the company reports a staggering terrific quarter. And the earnings estimates up dramatically. How could they not? Every grade of steel went up in price, and that's without the help of any infrastructure bill. Today, the stock finally got back to 107, where the trust made its first purchase. I do these videos each morning for TheStreet.com with my research director, Jeff Marks, and we talked about Nucor. My instincts. My instincts said, well, hold it. It's back to 107. We got to sell some. And we had gotten back to even with the trust. Yes. But then we talked about it, and I realized that was a huge mistake. That was total lazy thinking. Do you know that the only reason I wanted to lighten up on New Court 107 is because it was where the trust initially bought it? I swear that's exactly what I would have done hadn't I talked it through with Jeff. I'd just been in my mind. Power of lazy thinking. Because in the vast scheme of things, with the stock trading at nearly six times earnings and an infrastructure bill looking like it's going to be a sure thing, there's absolutely no good reason to sell New Court now. I didn't have a fundamental reason. I didn't have a technical reason. I just saw it had gotten back to even, and my gut reaction was to breathe a sigh of relief, ring that register. What the heck does it really matter, though? What does it have to do with whether or not Nucor's worth owning? What would be the point of that sale? 
before you pull the trigger, you got to ask yourself, why the heck am I really doing this? Sell, sell, sell. With Nucor, I don't really care if the stock pulls back. There's a trillion-dollar infrastructure package on the way that should ignite steel sales for not days, not months, but years to come. And that's what matters, not where the stock is relative to your first trade. I bring this up because anybody can fall prey to lazy thinking. Happens to the best of us. It's human nature to make poorly thought-out, emotionally-driven decisions. This kind of thing is everywhere. Okay, this morning, I listened to several people I genuinely respect, I mean, honestly respect them, about what were they talking? How the Fed is dead wrong to keep rates so low after Friday's fabulous employment report. I bet you heard that. If you watch your network or you read anything, you probably read a half dozen stuff. Wrote half dozen times today. Well, one person this morning said the Fed was obviously wrong. Another criticized Jay Powell for being oblivious to one of the largest job gains ever. Couldn't disagree more with him. But the chatter, you know what? The chatter began to worry me. I mean, I've been out Friday. I figured the market would get crushed because the economy was too hot, meaning the Fed would have to tighten sooner than later. But these Jeremiah's against easy money were so effective that I looked at the Chapel Trust's biggest winners to find names to ring the register on, and, and I settled on selling some Costco. Yeah, big gain. Sell that one. If rates are headed higher because the economy's red hot, this relatively expensive retail stock would have to go lower. Again, though. That, too, is the power of lazy thinking. First, who the heck were these commentators to make me do anything? They've been dead wrong for ages. Dead wrong about the Fed. I think Jay Powell's doing a fine job under extraordinary circumstances. Look, we're in a wacky world where the state of Florida is trying to keep Norwegian Cruise Line's holdings from sailing because the company wanted to make sure everybody was vaccinated in order to ensure a COVID-free voyage. This weekend, though, a federal judge ruled that the unvaccinated are not a protected class and there were no privacy rules violated. And in my interpretation, there's no real state interest in keeping the pandemic going. Of course, Florida's appealing a decision because, God forbid, we let businesses do anything to stop the virus. In that world where the Delta variant is spreading like wildfire and has the backing of a big state, how the heck can the feds justify slamming the brakes on the economy right now by raising rates? Pat doesn't need to do anything to slow down the economy. You know why? Because COVID's going to do it for him. More importantly, why was I momentarily willing to sell some Costco? One of my favorite stocks for the Travel Trust. There was nothing wrong with the business. It didn't miss the numbers. I was simply reacting to the scaremongering from the inflationists who've been wrong forever, even though I disagree with them. But what happened is they made me frightened. And that created a kind of thinking that's devoid of rigor. Fortunately, I had second thoughts and we didn't go through the sale. But I have to tell you, when you listen to these people that are quite convincing that you should sell your best, sell your pearls. I got another one. The trust owns Lindy. That's the industrial gas distributor that's growing by leaps and bounds. Lindy reported a terrific quarter last week. I mean, it's just gorgeous. We've had management on the show several times. I hope you like them like I do. Among other things, it provides the raw hydrogen needed for hydrogen fuel cells. More on that later in the show. This morning, one of Lindy's competitors, Air Products, missed its earnings estimates hugely. Stock dropped 5%. Again, my lazy initial reaction, well, I got to go sell Lindy before others sell Lindy. Why not? I mean, there's going to be terrible pin action. But that kind of logic is a sucker's game. What does it mean to beat other sellers to the punch? How does that really make sense? It's total lazy thinking. It's so many to it. When I thought about it some more, I realized I still like Lindy. It's better run than Air Products. Why would I sell Lindy because Air Products? The bottom line, 
Deciding when to sell is just as important as deciding when to buy. So please do not let your emotions drive those decisions. Don't dump something good just because it's back to even or some talking heads freak you out or you're trying to outrun some imaginary contingent of slow motion sellers. We can't ban lazy thinking, but we can identify it and stamp it out one stupid idea at a time. Bob in Florida, Bob. Uh, Mr. Jim Kramer, thank you for taking my call. First time uh, caller, long time fan. How are you doing, That's sir? That's what I like. I like first time, long time. How can I help you? Uh, good, good. Thank you. I just had a question on uh, Marvel Technologies ticker MRVL. Sure. Um, do you think it could be the next uh, semiconductor, semiconductor boom with you know, NVIDIA and AMD? Uh, I think at Matt these Murphy. I think Matt Murphy is a absolute total, I'd say, hitter. He's a hitter. That's what he is. He's a hitter. He's a first-string player. He's more of a slot receiver. But I got to tell you, I would throw it to him every single day. He's amazing. He's made two fantastic acquisitions. He's now coming after Broadcom. Marvell. Bye, bye, bye. Mike in Wyoming, where it's apparently very uh, smoky. Mike. Hi, Jim. Yeah, it is smoky. Barely see the distance out oh, here. She's in such beautiful country. How can I help you? Hey, uh, my stock is the Container Store, TCS. Last week, they announced a blowout uh, earnings of about $0.35 cents per share versus expectations of about $0.09. Cents. It's got a fixed P.E. ratio. My wife and I, we shop the store. Uh, we have the Alpha brand closets. We're very impressed. The products are impressive. It's always busy. My question is, how much upside potential do you think this there is with the TCS? I think someone should buy them. I mean, you know, I agree with you. I, I, I don't understand it. My daughter loves the thing, too. Uh, I think there's room. I think you own. Let's go to Colin in Michigan. Colin. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Yo, man. I was making pickles. Jimmy Chill's none better pickles. I got the labels from Etsy. Like they say, none better. Hey, before I get started, I just wanted to thank you and your staff for taking my call. You guys put on a great show every night. We got a great staff. And I'll tell you, we did some kind of geographic geography of the floor that we're on today, and it worked out really well. Great. Jim, I'm calling about Scott's Miracle Grow. I bought this stock about a year and a half ago when you recommended it as a play on the stay-at-home economy. Yes. And it's, it's been all over the place in the last year. And now I'm kind of right back to where I'm started. So I'm just wondering, uh, is this another one of those stay-at-home plays that everybody's it, it given up on? It, it's great. And remember, as state after state allows you to grow your cannabis... They have the right product. So I want you to stay in it, if not even buy more. It's been pretty good around the country, except for some of those more smoky areas, of which, by the way, any of you firefighters, thank you so much for what you're doing, because I know what you're doing, because one of you is my uh, nephew. All right. Be a little alert for lazy thinking, right? The inability to see that your negativity is getting in the way of a good story. Deciding when to sell is just as important as deciding when to buy. The key is to not let your emotions rule that decision. Oh, man, money tonight. The $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill cleared a number of hurdles this weekend. And with hydrogen being recognized as a source of energy in the bill, I'm talking to an expert in the field to see what it could mean for the hydrogen ecosystem. Of course, and also for Lindy, like I just mentioned, that a new era has begun at Stitch Fix. And with a new CEO at the helm, could the online fashion retailer that we have championed for so long keep your portfolio dressed for success? Why don't we talk to the new top brass? And senior housing is one of the hardest hit sectors by the coronavirus. But with demand finally returning, where does the industry stand now? I think we've got something to buy with the CEO of Ventas. Get a read on the space. 
Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This weekend, the trillion-dollar infrastructure package cleared a bunch of procedural hurdles in the Senate. Hey, got broadly bipartisan support. You know what? That makes me think that it could actually pass. That means it's time to take a closer look at some of the contents of the bill, some of the things that can affect your portfolio, on top of the obvious stuff like roads and bridges. There's some lesser-known pockets of funding for alternative energy, including clean hydrogen. For ages, hydrogen fuel cells were a pipe dream. But we've made some major strides over the past year to the point where maybe the business is viable. So is clean hydrogen the real deal? Does the government have to support it? Can we make money off of it? Let's check in with the best energy analyst in the business, Rusty Brazil, the founder and executive chairman for RBN Energy. Rusty, welcome back to Mad Money. All right. Thanks, Jim. And great to be with you to talk about something completely different. Yes, but it's something that you are a specialist on and you spend a lot. You've written some great things on it. Rusty, there are a lot of people talking in the book here. Uh, some people say that clean energy, clean hydrogen is years away. Some people say blue hydrogen. Some people say green. I mean, will you please straighten out the terms? Tell us what's in the bill. Tell us where we are with hydrogen. All right. Well, you know, th- this time it looks real, Jim. Uh, and it's an absolute must if we're going to get anywhere close to the Paris Accords or any of the decarbonization or, or, or net zero commitments that are being made. Uh, It's a big deal, and it really needs to happen. Uh, In terms of of what's going on in the market, there's really two hydrogen markets, really three if you want to think about it that way. Uh, One is the green hydrogen market that we hear so much about, that there's so much information on the Internet uh, about these days, And, and that's hydrogen that's made from electricity and water. You just have to get the electricity from someplace uh, where it's made from renewables. Uh, And then when you burn the hydrogen, uh, there is no carbon produced. And so it gets counted as green. And that is really what is attracting a lot of attention right now. What a lot of people don't pay that much attention to is the hydrogen business that's been around for years. Uh, And it's a huge business. Uh, It's uh, the customers of refineries and ammonia plants and petrochemical plants. Uh, it, it's about as much on a volumetric basis as all of the gas produced in the Permian each day. So it's a big market, but you make it out of, out of natural gas. And when you make it out of natural gas, even though the hydrogen itself is clean burning, when you make it, it generates a lot of CO2. And therefore, they call that gray hydrogen. On well, the other hand, you can Russ, take the CO2. Yeah. Gray, gray hydrogen, bad. Green hydrogen, good, right? Good. Yeah, but then there's a halfway in between, and that's blue hydrogen. So if you take the carbon dioxide that is produced from making the gray hydrogen and sequester it, meaning store it deep underground permanently forever, and techniques they call uh, carbon capture and storage, CCS, and carbon capture use and storage, CCUS, if you do that to it, it's essentially almost as good as green hydrogen. 
And you can do that with any of the hydrogen that is currently used with refineries, with used with ammonia plants, or lots of other industrial facilities that would have a hard time basically redoing their whole processes to get all of the CO2. Okay, Rusty, a principal source, if not maybe the largest after buildings, for carbon dioxide, for bad fish, for noxious fumes, long haul trucking. Isn't long haul trucking really suited for green hydrogen? Absolutely. The key to long haul trucking and green hydrogen is that you're going to take the green hydrogen and then you're going to liquefy it. So that's the kind of hydrogen that you, you, you see Plug Power using, for example. Plug Power liquefies the hydrogen, and that's what they provide to those long-haul fleet operation uh, 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 trucking operations. Uh, and that's going to make a lot of sense. Uh, and there's a number of folks beside, besides Plug Power that are focusing on that business. Yeah, but if, if it's really so good, how come we're not hearing that Exxon, is opening up hydrogen fueling stations next to where there are truck depots. It's just going to take some time to work through the whole process. This is really only happening now. And like you said, a lot of the incentives right now that are, I think are going to really jumpstart this whole process are being debated right now as we speak in Congress. So I wouldn't at all be surprised to, to, to see that development eventually, but it's not quite ready for prime time yet. So you're saying, you said something very important. If, unless you have cheap electricity, it doesn't work. Unless you have green uh, or renewable generated electricity, okay. it doesn't work. You also have to have cheap electricity, too. So, I mean, a coal-based system, we, a lot of people still feel there's still too much coal in the system. We don't want to create more uh, pollution when we try to create less pollution, right? I mean, we really got to no, make this no. thing work. That, that's the reason you've got to do one or two things. Either you have to make the hydrogen in a way that doesn't generate carbon dioxide, CO2, or uh, you, you have to sequester that CO2 in one of those processes that I just mentioned, CCS or CCUS. All right. So last question for you. And I really, Rusty, this is the toughest thing. Because, you know, I spoke to uh, Andy Marsh today, CEO of Plug. I read him what Lindy said. Now, Lindy has a vested interest in hydrogen selling fast, and they're saying it's three, five years away. Plug Power saying it's now. This is green hydrogen now. Which is it now or three, five years? All of the above, Jim. <laughs> uh, so for for Plug Power, for what they are doing, they got there. There are. They are building five plants right now that are green hydrogen, and they are going to. Those are liquefied hydrogen plants. Those plants are going to come on, and they're going to go straight into their operations. So, from Plug Power's perspective, it's now for the industrial gas companies. Again, they've been doing gray hydrogen for decades now. In terms of making the transition between gray and blue, it's going to take a few years in order to do that. But I'm not talking about five years. I'm talking about two years, three years, four years, well, that sort of thing. Then, so it's right in front of us. Then we got to stay on this, Rusty, because that's much sooner than I ever thought it could happen. And it's a major development for our country. And I want to thank you for telling us straight because you don't have a vested interest. You're not talking that's your right. book. You have <laughs> no book, which is why I was so thrilled to have you. Rusty Brazil, RBN Energy and founder and, ex and executive chair of RBN, and it's my favorite site, too, in the morning. Thank you so much, Rusty. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate being on. Absolutely. Okay, guys, we got to stay on this. And you know what? This plug power, I spoke to them this morning. 
Wow. I mean, it's up three today. Maybe it can go higher. Maybe money's back after the break. Coming up, there's no quick fix for staying in fashion. Can Stitch Fix style and profile their way to a snug fit for both investors and consumers? Kramer's got the CEO next. of Stitch Fix, the online advisory service that I like to describe as your own personal uh, digital stylist that sends you new clothes and accessories on a regular basis that so many people on our Mad Money team love. Last year, the stock had an incredible run because even though there wasn't much demand for new threads, the digital business model was a perfect fit for the lockdown economy. This year, though, Stitch Fix has been, well, stock's been cut in half. From, from its highs. Oh, but then again, the whole e-commerce cohort has gone out of style. The Wall Street Fashion Show, no matter how well they're doing, I think it's probably been punished enough. But with the new CEO taking over a week and a half ago, we need to kick the tires on this one. So let's take a closer look with Elizabeth Spaulding, the new CEO of Stitch Fix, to learn more about her vision for the future. Ms. Spaulding, welcome to Man Money. Thank you, Jim. Great to be here. Okay, so I've got to tell you something, Elizabeth. You know we're huge fans of Katrina Lake, and she's been on a number of times, uh, and she's still with you guys, executive chairman. But what does the, the Elizabeth Spalding era mean for us? Yeah, great question. Well, first of all, I'm so thrilled to be here. And, yeah, I mean, this is just such an exciting time for Stitch Fix. First of all, I'm honored and humbled to be taking on this role. And, you know, Katrina has just had such a pioneering vision within the apparel retail category. You know, this is a category that's been consumer pull for a very, very long time where you have to sort of sift through and sort through and find what you want. And Stitch Fix really revolutionized that with the power of data science uh, together with the creative human judgment and helping our clients find what they love. And what got me so excited in coming in a year and a half ago was the opportunity to take that vision and really shape the next 10 years. You know, Katrina and I were very intentional about that. And what COVID did, it ushered in a lot of things for us. First of all, it ushered in tremendous consumer change. You know, this is a category that's gone from 25% online pre-COVID to 40% online today. Um, But it also ushered in change for us as a leadership team and change for us as a business. You know, she and I really divided and conquered with a business that luckily was not burdened by stores and debt. We could lean into innovation. And that's really been my focus while she helped manage through the crisis. And so the future of Stitch Fix is really this combination of personalized styling, but also personalized shopping. And I think part of the reason, you know, we went on a tear earlier this year was just the notion of people leaning into the model that is Stitch Fix. Okay. Now, we've added more clients in fiscal 21 um, than any year on record. And now we're opening up the doors uh, to personalized shopping in addition to our fixed model. OK, so let, let's talk about the change, the change in what people are wearing, because I know that you've had to deal with. I mean, really, you started in your in your terrific memos and, and what you've been saying that suddenly it's uh, people want structured look. They want a totally different. You, you come in at a time when what people want is radically changed from what it was, say, six months ago. How are you coping with that? Yeah, I mean, one of the big benefits of our model, Jim, is just, and you know this from the years you've spent chatting with Katrina as well, is just the power of our data. And so with that data, we could see a lot of those changes happening at the beginning of COVID. We saw a 10x increase in work from home requests. Our athleisure business was up 350% this year. And we were able to take that signal in our model to know what consumers were looking for. But similarly, kind of earlier this year, we started to see a 300% increase in vacation wear. Uh, Button down started trending again for men. And our 
our ability to source and style quickly and take those signals from the combination of stylist notes, style shuffle, what people are now engaging with in their shopping feed have all been big advantages for us. We also have a number of our brands that are exclusive brands where we can source very quickly, like our kids' business, for example. You know, we can use our uh, fabric platforming to get goods in as little in, as six to 10 weeks. And so those advantages have allowed us to really adapt, um, not to be one single aesthetic. We're not just mm-hmm. an athleisure company. We're really styled around what the consumer wants in this moment. And so with this shift back into more structure, but I would say very comfortable structure, uh, we're prepared for that. Okay. So how about your, uh, one of the things we loved about Katrina, we first met her. First time I sat down with her, she said, listen, we like to make money. We're a profitable company. We're not like the other guys. Now, when you have an unbelievable opportunity, a lot of people come on where you are right now and say, you know what? I can't think about profitability. I got to take over. I got to dominate. Do you share her view that you can grow and also make money? Yeah, I mean, we absolutely have an amazing unit economic model that is StitchFix, which was one of the things I got so excited about having worked in many consumer businesses and tech businesses is the core unit economic model of StitchFix is very strong. And our new shopping model on a unit economic model is very strong because our return rates are so low because of the power of data. You know, we're roughly half, if not less, of typical apparel e-commerce return rates because of the power of data and fit. Um, but this question of profitability, we, of course, want to do things in the most efficient way. We also view this moment as a bit of a land rush, you know, that 25 to 40% now online, consumers really leaning forward into our way of shopping. We view this as a moment of key behavior change. So leaning into, you know, getting more clients to know who Stitch Fix is as we've now opened up this new shopping platform, making sure really from a shareholder value creation standpoint, we believe in delivering long-term free cash flow to our shareholders and also delivering growth. And right now is a pretty critical moment where we view growth as a big part for the business. Um, but I think there's amazing discipline because of that DNA that Katrina instilled in the business. All right. So let's talk about the Delta variant right now. I mean, are you seeing, obviously, we all felt that kind of maybe the pandemic was going to end and then some people have decided they're not going to take the shots and then we got a new strain. Are you seeing a change to a change that already people are now saying, you know what, I'm not, we're not going back to the office. Let me just switch again. Yeah, I mean, we're continuing to see requests for things that signal people are coming back, you know, like our back to school business, we see a 30% year on year increase in back to school Mm. fixed requests. So there are signs that consumers are anticipating this movement back. That said, you know, we are anticipating more of this hybrid and maybe working from home longer. You know, Stitch Fix and our future of work strategy is becoming a more hybrid model. And, you know, because of the Delta variant, we were supposed to go back in September. We pushed that back a month and a half. I mean, ultimately, we need to keep our employees safe and be focused on that and really just be taking the signals of how people are shopping. And we know one of the benefits if people are staying and holding back a bit more is we can, you know, help them try and close in the comfort of their own home, whether or not they're, you know, going back to work, back to the office or back to school or work working from home, um, we'll be able to adapt to that. Now, one of the things I loved in your talk, uh, one of my recent talks, 99% of our time at a store is looking at racks that are irrelevant. I mean, that is really an incredible time suck. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one thing that was so powerful to me in joining was like, yeah, that's a great point. You walk into a department store, like the vast majority of what you're walking into has no relevance to you, Jim, or to me, Elizabeth. Like, 
It's not going to fit me. It's not my style. It's not the brand I like. You know, imagine your now personalized store with Stitch Fix. You open up that shopping feed and everything will fit you. Everything is relevant to you. And of course, the more we give and get information together, the better that experience becomes. Um, But that's a pretty different idea. We're only showing you things that are actually going to fit you. And the more information, you know, we share with each other, the better we can make that store. But wouldn't you rather just see the things that are going to fit you versus you doing all the work to filter down to the couple of items that might make sense for you? Absolutely. Well, look, you make a you you make a strong case as Katrina did, and you know that we've loved the stock and we love the idea and the model, and we're so glad you came on Mad Money to talk about it. I want to thank you, Elizabeth Spoon. So really great to have you on the show. Fantastic. Thank you. Guys, look, the stock's come down a lot. I think it's a very interesting stock. Elizabeth Spaulding, new CEO, obviously knows what the heck she's doing. We'll miss Katrina Lake. But you know what? We got both of them right now because she's still executive chairman. Their money's back after the break. Coming up, caring for those we love most has never been more challenging. After earnings, can this REIT keep the trust strong in a Kramer fave real estate investment? The CEO joins Kramer next. COVID's exploding again. Many businesses are returning to pre-pandemic levels. And that includes the healthcare real estate investment trust. Just look at Kramer Fay Ventas, the real estate investment trust that owns senior housing facilities, medical offices, research centers, and hospitals. When the pandemic first hit last year, Ventas saw its stock plunge from 63 to 13 in a matter of weeks because they've got a huge senior housing business. And you know what? Ground zero, senior housing, right? Eh, maybe not so fast. Right near the lows, we spoke to CEO Deb Cafario, and she told us a very encouraging story and to have faith. At the time, the stock was at 23. If you listen to her, you've now got a huge gain as it's rebounded to 57. Now, last Friday, Ventos reported a slightly better than expected quarter, also slightly worse than expected guidance, but the stock got dinged a little. But when you drill down, there was a lot to like about the quarter, especially improving occupancy trends for the senior housing division that we have to listen. We have to find out more about these levels. We may have a bargain. Uh, maybe we even one day get a dividend boost. So let's check in with Deborah Cafaro, the chairman and CEO of Ventas, to get a better sense of the quarter and where the company's headed. Ms. Cafaro, welcome back to Man Money. Good afternoon. Great to see you. Okay, so Deb, you always told me there'll come a time when there uh, will not be overbuilding, when there won't be a lot of capital coming into the segment, and that's when you're going to pounce and double down. You bought an outfit called New Senior. Your notes are full of optimism, and it sounds like it's because everybody else has kind of dropped out. Is that a good way to describe it? Well, you're right. We do see tremendous optimism, and we're back to both internal growth and consolidation and our our position as an industry leader in uh, buying new senior. We're very excited. Our business will be about a half senior housing, and we are at the beginning of what you described as kind of a double recovery one on the supply-demand side, and the other, of course, coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. It does seem uh, that the occupancy and numbers that you're getting literally week to week to week just keep getting better, even with Delta. People must be sensing that maybe this is the safest place to be. Well, it is amazing. It is a very safe place. Nearly all of our senior residents, we vaccinated over 50,000 residents, and almost all of the employees in the community are vaccinated. And so we have virtually no COVID in our communities. And more importantly, that is leading to 
five consecutive months of occupancy growth. We're up over 400 basis points from the low of the pandemic, which was just in mid-March. And our leads are at the highest level since the pandemic began. And so we are very encouraged that as soon as our communities were ready to welcome seniors and their families safely, that demand just surged right in. So, Deb, I was thinking when I went over all the public filings ahead of this interview, I feel like to some degree I spend too much time talking about senior housing. Not enough time talking about, for instance, like your life sciences portfolio, which is just extraordinary. It keeps getting better and better. And that business is terrific, correct? Absolutely. We are excited about a portfolio that's gone from zero in 2016 to over 9 million square feet of lab space. And we all know the capital flows that are going into basic research, pharma research, and we are right at Maine and Maine. In fact, we're on the campuses of over 16 major research universities, and we're in San Francisco and Boston and on the Johns Hopkins campus. And so we're very excited about that business. And frankly, we have a real competitive advantage in this intersection of sort of academic medicine, life science and universities. And we see it as a big growth area. All right. Now, I know that it, it pains you. Look, when you came on in 23, you said, look, we're going to make it not an issue. And boy, we have a right. But you know what? I want more income. And what do I do if I want more income than I own Ventas? Well, absolutely. We have a dividend of 45 cents a quarter that is is very well covered because we're making substantially more than that. Our senior housing business has about 300 million of of EBITDA yet to recover from the pandemic lows. And we captured about 50 million of that in the second quarter. So we've always believed that the dividend was a very important part of our total return proposition. We're focused on it and it will follow cash flow growth. Okay, very good. Now you did an, uh, an at the money sell program. Is that now completed? Well, the At The Money program is assisting us in the acquisition of new senior. We obviously want to maintain a strong balance sheet, and we'll continue to do that. That is also part of the Ventas profile. And uh, that has been completed in terms of its uh, impact on the new senior acquisition. Okay, so the triple net leasing business, that to me seems like such a great business. What would happen if you broke the company up into these three different businesses? Everybody would want one of the one of the three. Well, as really a $35 billion company, if we broke up into medical office and outpatient and life science and senior housing, I mean, we really uh, would have some of the larger businesses within our space. But we have really believed in a diversification story, Jim, Mm -hmm. all demographically driven. All of our assets are driven by demographic growth. But within that, we've benefited greatly and our shareholders have because each of them beats to a slightly different drummer. And what we saw during the pandemic is that over half our business is in outpatient medical office and life science and the healthcare businesses. And those actually grew and provided tremendous stability to us and our shareholders over the last 18 months. Well, when and you, now, hopefully, senior housing will lead the way out. Well, you, when you came on last, you told us it wasn't ready yet. But one day people would stop building. And now you're in charge, Deb. And I've got a feeling that things are 
Well, not, not everybody made it to the other side, but you did. I want to thank you for coming on and always being straight with us. You're a terrific, a terrific exec. Deb Cafaro, Ventos Chairman and CEO, VTR. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Jim. See you soon. See, stock doubled. Knows what she's doing. And money's back in. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with him. The lightning round is coming up next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Maybe they're afraid of, of needles. Remember well, Theranos? Remember she was afraid of needles. Could be the, could be the right? microchip. Theranos was could afraid of the microchip. Remember Elizabeth Holmes? Bill, are you in there? Bill? <laughs> I got him. Yeah, yeah, I got him. Ground control. Got the major top. We're good. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Dad, to the lightning round. I want to start with Scott in Florida. Scott. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call here. Uh, I got a couple questions for you. Sure. Um, I'm looking at uh, choosing two tickers, and which one do you recommend, Lyft or Uber? Okay, uh, I actually think that Lyft had a better quarter than Uber, so I would go with Lyft, but that is a very speculative segment, just so you know. Speculative segment. Let's go to Tim in Texas. Tim. Hi, Jim. Love your show. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing fine. How about you? I'm good. Um, I have a question regarding Golden Nugget Online Gaming. What do you think of Golden Nugget Online Gaming after the um, DraftKings? You're really just buying DraftKings, and I think that Jason did it. It's a very smart acquisition. Uh, for gold nugget people. But you know what? You're not an arbitrageur. I would ring the register. You just had a very big day today. I want to go to John T. in Michigan. John T. Hey, booyah, Jim. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. I'm a big fan since 2006. Big fan. Thank you for what you do, Jim. Thank you. My my question is for Global Payment Network. Uh, Recent results were amazingly good, but the stock has declined 15%. What's your take on that? Look, I think it's a good discount to buy the stock. I mean, I, I have always tell. I mean, I have to tell you, I think these guys are very, very smart guys. And I saw a giant insider buy uh, by the CEO, whom we've had on the show, and is very smart. I think this is a good level. I would pick some up. Let's go to Jim in California. Jim. Hey, Jim. With the infrastructure bill looking like it will pass, the stock below all-time highs, and earnings coming tomorrow, should I add more stem to my position? Absolutely. That is one considered decision, and you and I both know that bill is great for STEM. Now I want to go to Todd in California. Todd. Hey, Big Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Hey, my question is about Medler Toledo International. I bought the stock 12 years ago because it makes these really nice quality instruments I know about. Right. And uh, it's done very well for me, but what's funny is I never hear about it in the news, despite the very good performance. And I wondered what you thought of the stock. In okay, I'll tell you why you never hear about it in the news. One is they're a quiet company. And two, it's my job to find stories like this. And I haven't, I have not talked about them at all. You absolutely are right. They make great instruments. Now, the stock is expensive, but it's always expensive because it's really good. Now we're going to go to Daryl in Alaska. Daryl. Yabba dabba, booyah, booyah. Holy Thank cow, you for taking the Flintstones. It's the Flintstones. Go ahead, what's going on? Well, I'd like to say that you don't receive enough credit 
for your role as a journalist. A la Walter Cronkite, I think you are America's most trusted financial Holy reporter. Cow. Wow. Anyway, thank you. My thank is paradigm. It's been trading sideways for the last six months. Buy, sell, I or know, hold. and that's why Al Alleged, the letter A, is a better buy than Teradyne. I think you should be in the letter A. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer wants you to think differently about a no-good, very glum, worst-case market that often seems to work out okay. Stay tuned for a can't-miss no-huddle next. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus, special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. years, the average has soared from one record high to another. We've been bombarded by relentless waves of negativity. Somehow this beautiful bull market never ever seems to get the benefit of the doubt. Pretty much the whole way up, all we've heard on air are questions like, what keeps you up at night? Or what are you really concerned about? Commentators just love to trot out a parade of horribles and then muse about which ones you may think are most damaging. I got an idea. Let's change it up for a minute. Let's take a page from Apple and think different. What if rather than obsessing over what could go wrong, we spend some time thinking about what could go right? Let's put the downside risk to the side and focus on the upside risk. You'll see this in research sometimes. Say an analyst downgrades something and then lists things that could potentially go wrong with their pessimistic forecast. They call them upside risks. Technicians come, they, they do it all the time. So after a bizarre, nearly nonstop rally, what's keeping the bears up at night? First, earnings could continue to be very strong. Well, we're coming to an end of a remarkable earnings season where you can only conclude that most executives have done a great job of coping with anything that gets thrown at them, including brutal supply and demand chain issues, the Delta strain, not to be confused, by the way, with the Andromeda strain, from healthcare to the semis to the industrials to the banks, mostly done, I've done much better than expected, even if the market hasn't always appreciated that strength. Second thing making it impossible for the bears to sleep easy, they're worried that the Federal Reserve will have to keep interest rates low because the latest COVID flare-up is decimating the largely non-unionized manufacturing workforce in the South. There are just too many businesses being hurt by the virus, especially small businesses, which makes it much less likely that the Fed will even talk about hitting the brakes of the economy instantly, like some people say they will. doesn't matter that we got a fabulous employment number on Friday. When we're seeing over 100,000 new cases of COVID per day, Don't you have to err on the side of keeping things easy? Third upside risk. There's $4 trillion on the sidelines. Now, we thought it was only $3 trillion, but then we learned about a trillion dollars sitting in money funds. They can't really stay there because the interest rates are so paltry, especially compared to high-quality dividend stocks. Fourth, the private equity firms don't talk about them enough, like Blackstone, like KKR. They may have as much as a trillion dollars that they desperately need to put to work to justify their existence. With private equity, they have no choice. These funds have expiration dates, usually around 10 years. They can't afford to leave the cash lying around. 
If we get a wave of leverage buyouts that could offset the slowdown and takeovers, courtesy of the Justice Department's tougher attitude toward antitrust, will look out. Oh, and I'm not even counting on the SPACs. They can buy anything they want and make up a lot of stuff. It shows you that how well they're doing. Fifth upside risk. You could get memed. Hey, AMD have been stuck in the mud for ages, waiting for that Xilinx acquisition to close. But there's a substantial short position here. So the memes are struck, and they bought up AMD hand over fist. You never know where they're going to strike next. Oh, oh, by the way, tomorrow morning on Squawk of the Street, we will have the CEO of Meme Supreme, AMC, Adam Aaron, as our guest. So you won't want to miss that. Meme stock rallies. We never know. Six, Washington. Congress is making progress on a big infrastructure package, and the White House just extended the moratorium on evictions through, uh, or through early October. That means rental property owners get less cash, but the people who aren't being evicted can use that money to buy things or even invest in the stock market. Meanwhile, the child tax credit payments are pumping even more discretionary income into the system, or maybe the stock market. Not everybody goes to the store and buys stuff. Finally, bearish hedge funds keep capitulating, and they have to. They have to buy stocks in order to keep up with the averages. These guys would rather wait for a pullback. But this bull refuses to give them a good entry point. You want to understand this market. Don't just focus on the downside risk. Sure, there's lots to worry about if you're bullish, but there's a lot more to worry about if you're bearish. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here on May of Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Now. 